Welcome to Walking It Out, living the Bible in everyday real life. Hey there, everybody. Pastor Brad here. I hope that you're having an awesome day. I hope that you're having an awesome start to 2023. It's hard to believe that we are 23, 23 years past the year 2000. I feel like my mind has stuck at the year 2000 like it was just yesterday. I hope that maybe today you've already got a strong cup of coffee. I know that I do and I need it. Um, it's going to be an awesome day today. Here's what I want to do uh, for this podcast. I want to look at a verse of scripture that is two things. It is simple and confusing all at the same time. I want to look at a verse of scripture from the book of James that is simple in the way it's written. It's simple in the point it's making, but oftentimes people read it in the context of the New Testament and they're confused. The verse is James chapter 2, verse 24. What's happening here is James really is, for his reader, for the church, he is making and having a doctrinal discussion. He's making a doctrinal point about the doctrine of justification. This idea of how it is that we're declared right. Is it by works or is it by faith in Christ Jesus alone? And he makes this summation, this kind of, let me get to the heart of my point. He says it in verse 24 of James 2. He says, you see that a person is, listen to this, a person is justified by works. And not by faith alone. And when you read that, it's, it's not hard to understand. It's not hard to understand what he's saying. It's not confusing language in and of itself. The problem is, for people who are familiar with the Bible, who have spent any time specifically reading Paul's epistles, and certainly places in those epistles and letters where he's talking about the doctrine of justification, it seems like he's saying something completely different contradictory than what Paul teaches. Paul seems to be teaching something else with regard to how we're made just. Paul says in Romans 5.1, therefore, since we've been justified by, he doesn't say works. He says by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He says to the church at Galatia, in Galatians 3.1, now it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law or works, for the righteous shall live by faith. He says to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace you've been saved through faith. And that's not even your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Gee, look at it and, and just get this sampling and see, well, wait a minute. When people stumble upon verse 24 of James chapter 2, they get confused because it seems like not only is Paul and James, are, are they saying different things and are, is there a contradiction, but maybe it causes them to doubt the inspiration, the inerrancy, and the infallibility of God's Word, and that they have found a contradiction in God's Word. And here's what I would say just to jump to the end of my point here. Uh, there is no contradiction in God's Word, and we'll talk about that in a minute. And I want to show you, I want to show you quite the opposite, is that when you look at Paul's main doctrinal assertion with regard to justification, and we look at the main text um, that I'm going to use and compare it to this main text in James 2, I would say this, not only is there not a contradiction, Paul and James are in agreement. They really are saying the same thing. So I want you to grab your Bible. I want you to open up to Romans chapter 3 and starting in verse 27. I want to kind of put out there Paul's main text uh, with regard to justification. He says this to the church in Rome, Romans 3, 27. He says, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works. No, but by a law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. 
Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one. Who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith? Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. And he goes on in verse 4, he says, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham? He's going to use Abraham as his example. He says, What was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Genesis 15, he says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. It was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Now, so we see here he's making this case, same thing we said before. Paul's saying, look, our faith comes, our, our Justification happens by faith. We're made right with God through faith. It's a gift of God by grace. It's not from our own works and our own doing. It's a gift. Otherwise, it would be us who's doing it, and we can boast in that. Now, listen to James's argument here in chapter 2 in the bigger context. Starting in verse 14 of chapter 2, he says, What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? And he asks a couple of rhetorical questions. Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so faith, so he says just like that, even so faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? And look at verse 21, he starts to use Abraham as his example as well. He says, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? He's talking about Genesis 22, though, as opposed to Genesis 15. You see that faith was working with his works. And as a result of the works, faith was perfected. Not brought about by it, but it was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. There's the same thing Paul said with Genesis 15. And he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Here's what I want you to see in those scriptures as we read them. This is the big point. There is no contradiction here. The Bible is God's word. It is authoritative. There is, it is inspired, 2 Peter says. It's not a man-made thing where they made mistakes. It's infallible. It's inerrant. It's incapable of being wrong. It doesn't contradict itself. Now, here's the problem is we come to scriptures like this that cause us issues. The issues are not with God's word. The issues are with us. The word of God is infallible, but let me tell you something about Brad and you and every other human being. We are fallible. We do get confused. We don't have infinite knowledge and wisdom. And on top of the fact that we're flawed and infested with sin and we are we have finite understanding and, and we make mistakes that cause issues like this and our confusion, look, just language is tough. You know that. We can be sitting across the table from somebody that we're married to and try to say something that gets completely 
confused to the other person and taken the other way. And when you write those words, all we have here is the written word separated by thousands of years of history and context. Sometimes it's hard to understand. You don't get to hear someone mouth these words and the inflection or understand why they're saying what they're saying. When you take something that was written in a different language and put it in ours, sometimes that creates confusion. I always use the example of uh, comparing Greek to English and taking the word love. You know, we have one word in the English language for love. It's love. But in the Greek, they had at least four. Two of them included in the Bible. They had eros love, which meant romantic love. You have phileo love, which is a brotherly love, a storge love, a, an agape godlike love. And imagine that I were to somehow sit down today and write a letter. Um, and I say in this letter, I love my Xbox or I love my computer. And in the same letter, I say I love my wife. Somebody might dig that letter up 2,000 years later and be confused. They don't know if I'm saying I love my computer the same way I love my wife. It gets confusing. There's times where we don't understand when we read the Bible how a word was being used. I mean, you can see the word zealous in the Bible. It can be a good thing or a bad thing. Where is it a good zealousness or a bad zealousness? You have to read it in its context. We believe this scripture, and here's the big point. There really is no contradiction. And I think some people like to try to reconcile what we're reading here in this confusion by saying they believe what James was trying to do was to add to what Paul was teaching about the doctrine of justification. Maybe. Um, some would even go as far to say that what James was trying to do was correct Paul's teaching. Somehow maybe he was writing... The church here and saying, hey, look, I know Paul was a little off or he got confused. Let me correct this. I don't think either one of those, in my opinion, is the best explanation. I really do believe that what we see happening here is uh, two brothers, two leaders of the church, two pieces of scripture that are teaching the exact same thing. They are teaching a correct doctrine of justification, just coming at it from different angles. This happens all the time. It'd be like somebody walking up to you and saying, hey, or asking you a question. Uh, where's your home? Where's home for you? You could ask four people that question. They might all give you different answers. It's the same question. You might have one person look at you and say, well, home is 123 Smith Street. Give you their address. You might have another person look at you and just say, well, it's hot in Louisiana. Maybe another that just says Louisiana, the United States of America. Maybe if there are people like me when I was living in Virginia and somebody would say, where's home? I would tell them a whole other state. Home is where I've spent the majority of my life, Louisiana. Answering the same question, all of those answers are right. They're just coming at something from a different angle. Paul's angle with the doctrine of justification as we read it in Romans was uh, a context and through a lens of having to deal with Jews who were constantly assuming and asserting that justification came by following the Old Testament law. They were trying to assert to the, this new church that in order for you to be made right with God, it wasn't through faith, it wasn't by faith, it wasn't by grace, it was by doing things to earn the conversion. You had to follow the law, circumcision, dietary laws. Paul was looking at this doctrine of justification as it relates to work, focusing on works before conversion. And in that sense, he was right. He was saying, no, no, we're not justified by some works ahead of time. It's not as if we somehow do some things and we earn God's favor uh, before conversion. And in that sense, he's absolutely right. James is taking an angle and through a lens of, of works as it relates to justification after conversion. He's looking at this and he's saying, 
uh, works we ought to pay attention to. Our, our actions are necessary. They're not necessary to cause conversion or earn conversion, but works are necessary to show evidence of our justification. It does matter. And the truth is, Paul and James are saying the same thing. They're addressing abuses that are happening with regard to the doctrine of justification in the church. Paul in Romans is addressing this uh, abuse of justification by saying, no, the way that we get it is through faith, not by works. James and Paul are addressing another abuse of the doctrine of justification by people who were saying, well, if it's by faith alone, this is what people were doing in the church, if, it's, if we're justified by faith alone, then let's just keep sinning. We don't have to address our sin. We don't have to have corresponding deeds and works. Let's just sin it up. If it's just by faith and it doesn't matter, then I can keep doing all the evil things that I was doing before. And, and just so you know that Paul's in agreement with James, let me read you some of his words. Paul says the same thing in Romans 6, 1-4. through 4. He says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died in sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. I mean, even John, when we go to 1 John, he's saying the same thing. 1 John 1, 6 through 8 says, If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. They're saying the same thing. There is no contradiction. Interestingly, they both, as we saw in those first main texts, they're using the same illustration. They both look at it and say, let me, let me hammer home my point about justification by talking about the life of Abraham. And they both focus in on Genesis 15, Genesis 15, 6, this part of Abraham's life where God comes to Abraham and makes him a promise that he's going to have all of these descendants, make his descendants great, but he's going to do that through a wife that hasn't been able to have children. And incredibly, what do we see? Abraham in faith believes God. That's what Genesis 15 says. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. This is what, this is what Paul's saying. Paul says it was about faith. Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. It was about faith, not works. It was reckoned to him as righteous. Now, the only thing that we add on is that James says, yeah, but let me talk about another aspect also in the life of Abraham. And he takes us to Genesis 22, where it also says that God tested Abraham, asking him to go up and sacrifice his son Isaac. And we ask the question, well, what, what was he testing? He was testing Abraham's faith. And what was he trying to find? Works. Evidence. Evidence of what? Evidence that his faith was real and it wasn't fake, that it was alive, that it wasn't dead. They both are saying the same things coming at it from different angles. Here's what we take away from it today. There is no confusion. The Bible is uh, as true as it ever was. For us, we walk away with several things. How do we make the rubber meet the road other than just having a way to reconcile maybe our confusion? One is gratitude. Man, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for making a way for us. There's not enough good works that we can do. There's not enough boasting I can do to make things right. Thank you, Jesus. 
things are made right with the Father. We don't have to experience His wrath or death or eternity separated from Him. Why? We can be made right with God because of a faith in what Christ Jesus accomplished for us, not what we accomplished for Him. And we have gratitude that once we've been filled with the Spirit, once He has redeemed us, once He has uh, covered our sins with His forgiveness and His work on the cross, that He now creates in us, gives us a Spirit, gives us a new self, and we start to see evidence of what He's doing in our life with good deeds and good works. And let me tell you what the world needs that. If we are ever going to be people who at the beginning of 2023 say we're going to go out and do something for the Lord Jesus, it's going to be fueled and it's going to be a product of real faith. And so today, maybe you're listening to this podcast and you're saying, Spread, I don't even know if I have a faith in Christ Jesus. Well, today's a good day. Cry out to Him. Tell Him that He is your only hope. It's true. Ask Him to be your Lord and ask Him for forgiveness. Maybe today you're starting this year and saying, I want good deeds. I want my life to have evidence of His work in me. Strengthen your faith. Go and meditate on Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the words of Christ. Get to know Jesus. Fruit will be produced by the power of the Holy Spirit. I hope this has encouraged you. Maybe you still have a little bit of coffee left. I've got about three or four little sips left in mine. I'm going to finish it and probably drink three or four more cups. It's going to be a good day. It's going to be a good year. I hope that you'll tune in next time as we open God's Word. I hope that you will walk away from this time and go live it out. Hope that you have a great day, great year. See you soon. Bye.